Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome back, people of the city, to the CHGO Sky Podcast, presented by CHGO Sports, a division of the All City Sports Network. I am Chris Pennant here in studio today, Tuesday afternoon, with this championship trophy that I'll hold up for you in a little later in the show, <laughs> alongside our co-host, Stephen Pridgen Garner, the best X's and O's man this side of the Mississippi River. You're going to wish you saw him now, because soon you're going to see him in the coaching box on the sideline. And we have a very special guest with us today, PhD candidate, Monique Newton, East Bay Area native, the only multiple-time Division Three champion in Oberlin College history, D3 champ in the shot put and the discus, and a Sky fan extraordinaire, and also the Sky beat writer for the next hoops. Let's so, go. Happy, happy to be here. Thanks. Monique, thanks for coming on. Steven. That's, that's a resume right there, Chris. I know, right? Like, God dang. I was. I want to go over to the M, but we got we got to talk about our, our best championship moments because two time division, two time national champion in anything, that's hard to match. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Steven, what's going on with you, man? We see decked out, and it was, it's a shame that you couldn't be in the studio flexing on all of us. <laughs> man, I'm doing great as always. I'm just ready to ready to get to it. Some fun conversations to be had. Most definitely. Uh, the sky season has been over for a couple of weeks now, but that means the offseason is right in view. The WNBA Finals picture was decided on Sunday afternoon, and we have to talk about the award season that just passed, just finished up for the W. Uh, but first things foremost, uh, the sky offseason wish list. Emery Vatonsever will not be returning as head coach. Monique, you actually had a really nice column on this uh, that dropped yesterday. Um, we know Emery Vatonsever is not coming back. Uh, only a few players under contract next year, including Kalia Harrison, who signed that uh, multiple-year Supermax deal earlier, right at the end of the season. Izzy Harrison, hopefully coming back stronger from injury. Sika Kone, very exciting rookie in her first season, will be coming back for a sophomore campaign, as well as Dana Evans. Um, but a lot of spots left to be filled. And I, I like something that you said that I want to start with, because I think this goes to the heart of what most Sky fans want. Alana Smith... In her, for, in her uh, first season with the Sky, filled that Izzy Harrison role after she was injured right at the end of preseason. Was one of three players in the league who averaged one steal and one block in 30 minutes of play and really became a fan favorite almost pretty much overnight after her first game going perfect from the field. Uh, but you said she will be due for a pay raise, and Steven, 
in exit interviews. Uh, it sounded like Atlanta at least was going to test the market, if not for sure, be somewhere else next season. Uh, I want to go back to that just because we talked about it last time we were here, Stephen, but I think it's a big focus for fans. Where's your outlook on Alana Smith's destination or whereabouts for next season? Monique, we'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, you know, first off, her season in review, I mean, it's it's almost the stuff of a fairy tale. You know, she was cut nine games into the season. She was not projected to be the starter. Who knows how much time she would have actually played. Isabel Harrison goes down. Um, you know, right before the season, and she's kind of thrust into this role, and she absolutely excels. She finishes third in, the, in most improved voting. We'll talk about that a little later. I would argue uh, she should have finished higher, um, but but she just but she just balled out. And in her exit interview, she talked about this season was really proving to herself that she could play in the league. Um, she talked about how difficult it is being a foreign player playing in the league. Um, so I just think like she deserves a huge shout out for her growth and kind of how she was just thrown into it. Um, She's an unrestricted free agent. She had a very good salary this year. And she is, like I said, she's due for a pay raise. I I think she has an argument, and I think she knows she has an argument, to be a starting, you know, potential four in the W. It'll be curious kind of what the bidding is like. But I think the Sky have to decide front court-wise what they want to do moving forward. Isabel Harrison, I mean, this is essentially a red shirt year with the Sky. Um, and then Isabel, you know, Elizabeth Williams is coming back. And so do you start, you know, do you try to bring Alana back, start her at the four, bring maybe Isabel off the bench? Do, is Alana that first big off the bench for this guy? She's not going to be making first big off the bench money. Um, so, you know, they have some decisions to, to make in the post, but she has earned what I believe is coming her way. Yeah, Stephen, I know you, you pretty much said the same a couple of weeks ago, but has anything changed for you? No, she's just, like Monique said, looking for a, a much-deserved pay raise. But also, like Monique also mentioned, she's looking for an increased role as well. And figuring out how, if they can, keep her in tow to obviously more than likely go with Dana off the bench and make that two-super-sub tandem. That would be uh, probably the most realistic with the sky. Uh, just because of what the demands in the starting lineup would require from a, a front court piece at the four, but it's going to be a lot to see with that. I would love to see her back. Nothing's changed there. I just don't know how um, likely it is because she's sure to get role and money, and I don't know if this guy can afford to present her with both, guaranteed at least. Now, the new ownership that's coming in is going to provide not only an infusion of prestige, but possibly and infusion to the coffers of the team. Um, even with the salary cap being the way it is, at the hard cap, no luxury tax, no apron, no, no way to go over and dip into it for teams that are aspiring to you know, greater heights. Do you think, what would you put together as a package for Atlanta if you were the GM? How much is she asking for? You know, what's, what's the starting price? Where, where does the negotiation start? It almost feels like as a free agent, she has nearly all of the leverage, especially coming off of a year this year where she was so vital to the Sky's operation. I mean, she went down with an ankle injury and, you know, I mean, the games where she missed, you know, she was felt. So um, it feels like she has, you know, the leverage in the situation and it depends on, you know, what she's going to be asking for, where her heart's at, and, of course, what other teams are in the conversation. 
Yeah, I think with with the way the W is trending for floor space and front court pieces, especially at the power four spot, Atlanta brings that in then some. And it's not just the floor spacing where, as we all know, it's the floor spacing plus the ability to screen, plus the ability to roll, plus the ability to pass off of that. And then even more than any of that is what she does on the defensive end. And all of the versatility and activity that she brings on that side. That's something that as a complete dynamic in a player on both sides of the ball is rare in the front court. And just the mobility and all the things in that she does. It's just really a unique skill set for her. So like Monique says, she has all the leverage, not just off of her play, but the fact that she outperformed any expectations the sky had for her this season, especially in an expanded role. And yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a tough loss if they do lose her. Um, <laughs> that, that seems most realistic to me at this point, just with the way that they have to go about addressing other things within the roster. Back yeah, well, one, I was gonna, you know, one thing I'll add. I mean, you know, we see in the top teams how valuable it is to have somebody who does the dirty work. Who, uh, I mean, I wanna, you know, it's always the first one on the floor. Uh, again, you know, her ability to shoot the three. I mean, these are almost intangibles, you know, in today's games. And so, uh, you know, she, I mean, you know, she, she has a lot of leverage in the free agency period. And I'm with Steven. It, it's hard to imagine her being re-signed, especially just off of the exit interviews and things like that. Um, but, but she. I mean, she's just one hell of a player, and I, I'm excited to see, you know, the future of her career, wherever that may be. Hopefully it's with this guy. Most definitely. Like, you couldn't – I don't think you can not root for Alana Smith after what she did last season and knowing where her journey took her before to that point. But that really is a good segue into the bulk of this, of this segment, which is the wish list. What do you really want to see for the sky? You know that they have these spots that need showing up, who's going to play the point guard – um, who's going to play the wing position uh, behind Kalia Copper and Marina Mabry? Um, what, what are you coming with off the bench? And your general manager and head coach. I uh, want to start there with uh, Steven. I know that GM is the first, it's the first time one that the Sky have split those two positions. And um, Monique, in your column, you said that Ka and other players expressed a desire for an experienced general manager, somebody that knows the ins and outs of the league and is going to be ready to hit the ground running. And that's really key in this offseason for the Sky, uh, where we've seen New York and Las Vegas really set the tone for how the league is going to try and play it over the next few years. Uh, but, but Stephen, I want to say to you first, where, where do you look for a general manager in this scenario? Like, where do you go? Yeah, that's the that's the I think the biggest looming question because obviously there are options at coach uh, that you at least have some things that you could kind of cycle through in terms of looking at who brings what to the table, uh, experience, and all of the different things that you're gonna look for in terms of having a head coach for at least the next couple of seasons. Uh, the general manager role is more unique because I don't feel like the market is as robust or volume wise there's as many options to kind of cipher through. Uh, so that does make things kind of tough. And obviously you want to have a pairing where the head coach and the general manager are of the same philosophy and have the same or similar uh, perspectives on not just the roster at hand, but also how to go about uh, putting things forward with the roster. So picking and choosing what pieces to go look at in free agency, philosophy-wise, what type of team are you going to be, up-tempo, 
um, slow it down playing the half court, active and aggressive defensively, or a little bit more passive and playing traditional, um, just solid defense. Like you have to be able to marry those two roles into one, um, into essentially one thing. And that's what the beauty of having a coach that's able to do both because now there's no two people having conversations. It's the same person. Obviously that's a lot of power and that's a lot of, um, that's a lot to just bear in general. So that's why it's better when it's separated, but finding a way to marry those two is going to be important. And I do feel like the first things first is just finding the head coach because you can't get the piece that's going to match with the head coach without having that nailed. So figuring out who you want to go with, being 10 toes down on that, and then transitioning to the general manager part. Yeah, yeah, and Steven and I are along the same wavelength. I mean, you know, the general manager position definitely feels more up in the air um, just in terms of what they're looking for than the head coach position. But, you know, just to echo what Steven said, I mean, just really looking for the chemistry between the head coach and the general manager. I also believe they're going to fill the head coaching position before the general manager position, if nothing else, just to take whoever they really want off the market first, um, kind of before these these other teams do. Um, but But also, I think from a practical standpoint, it makes a lot of sense to get a head coach that, wants to build a team identity and then you get a general manager that puts the team in place for the head coach to do uh you know what the head coach plans to do um and so uh, so yeah i mean I, I also think there's been less conversation from the organization kind of publicly about um where they're leaning with the general manager position and and such as that but uh, it's really about the chemistry between the gm and the head coach and i mean we're talking about arguably two with the two most important positions, um, you know, front office wise for WNBA teams. If we look at the teams that are in the finals, you know, um, both of those positions for those teams are among the best in the league. And so, uh, I mean, I can't, you know, overstate enough just how huge these decisions are in terms of both the head coach and the general manager moving forward for the direction of the franchise. And so we'll kind of see what happens. Yeah, I know that when I, I when they when the word came that they were going to split the positions, I was happy because it seemed like it was past the time uh, to do that. But then at the same time, whereas in I think you get a bunch of different names bandied about in other sports, brags you know in in baseball you have like the same six general managers that kind of kick around. Uh, some somebody hires Dave Dombrowski everywhere some year. With this, you're in un, kind of uncharted territory. And it's a really interesting the position that the Sky are in. Yeah, the good old boys league, right? The everybody gets grandfathered in. Yeah, and now <laughs> I think that's the cool. That's another cool thing with the WNBA. You get so many new candidates who are able to get a chance alongside, or that have come up for years alongside um, established head coaches. We saw that in Dallas with Natricia Trammell, who had been in the coaching ranks in professionals and college for years. Finally, got a shot with Dallas and was able to lead them on a really good run in the postseason. Uh, shout out to John checking into the show. Who are the best head coach candidates available? Leads right into our next segue. Um, the Sky have, have been identified with two candidates over the past month, Teresa Weatherspoon and Sonia Rahman. And uh, we've, we've, I think all three of us have talked about those two candidates. Uh, and I know that there's some kind of shadow names that would be out there on the periphery. Monique, have you heard of any other names that might be um, in discussion for this guy, or is it down to Spoon and Sonia? 
Those are the only two names that I can confirm the sky have talked to and have been in conversation with. That doesn't say they haven't been talking to other folks. Um, but those are kind of the to two confirmed names uh, being thrown around. And then there are some lists of some rumors, um, you know, looking at the college level and things like that. But, um, you know, they're, they are trying to keep it as tight to the chest. And, you know, I expect very soon, you know, to just kind of have an announcement drop about, you know, who they ultimately roll with. I like it. I mean, I think that Teresa Weatherspoon has has the experience, has the name that would one would also bring people, even more people who kind of were turned off by last year's uh, tough exit and maybe the turmoil of this year. Bring those people back into the fold. Bring new uh, fans of the sky who haven't who've been on the periphery to the fold, and also would be a quality coach. But I was I was really interested in Sonia's resume, and especially in the era where. Uh, so much of basketball comes down to data and crunching and figuring out the best probabilities and putting yourself in the best opportunities in a given situation. And her time with the Grizzlies, who is an organization I really like, and aside from some individual things with Ja, has had a really, I think, a good culture surrounding them since she's been with them. Uh, Steven, I, we talked about the candidates. Where would, if you had to choose today, where would you stand? I would err on Teresa, and I say err in air quotes because that's a women's basketball legend. And if you look at specifically with the Aces, what they have in Becky Hammond and the culture established and the level of respect and the level of relatability and all of these little things that just add up to uh, one of the most unique basketball cultures and just all of basketball in the Western Hemisphere, looking at the aces, I think that that's something that Teresa could certainly cultivate just off of presence alone with this guy. And that's that's really just, that's kind of a trump card. I mean, no no disrespect to any other candidates that might even be considered, but you look at her status as a, NBA, a WNBA legend, and then you add to that, it's not just her getting that off of that status, but she's also put in the work as a coach at multiple stops on the collegiate level, and obviously in the NBA level, that level of experience, like it's it's hard to compete with, to be honest. And I feel like that's something that all things considered with her should be brought into the fold. And I think that makes her the most prime um, candidate for the opportunity to coach this guy. I don't want to say it's a done deal, but it kind of seems like that's the way people are leaning. Really, I know fans want Teresa, Teresa Weatherspoon. I've seen it multiple times <laughs> in the Twitter sphere. Um, I, I, our little bird had the, had the X in the eyes the other day on the last show. And I almost, I really liked that. I'm sorry. Yeah, Steve, I know. I know, man. I know. Hey, listen. It's not the way it used to be. <laughs> our cesspool's a little worse these days. <laughs> I got um, nothing to add to that. <laughs> um, so if we say Teresa Weatherspoon's a, a done deal, where does that, um, if you could, if you get into her mind from what we know, how does that change the team's um, makeup, personnel, culture, the way they approach the game? Yeah, I mean, I again echo everything Stephen says. You know, my, I think the best argument I can put forth on top of what Stephen said 
for Teresa. I mean, defensively, this team needs a shift. Um, just to throw some numbers out there, I mean, defensively, they were ranked uh, seventh in defensive rating, really eighth. They were tied with Dallas. They ranked 11th in defensive rebounds. Um, they were ranked third in blocks per game. Shout out to Elizabeth Williams and Alana Smith, but 11th in defensive rebound. Rounding is not going to get it done. They were ranked dead last in opponents' points in the paint. They allowed nearly 40 points a game. Um, and so I'd really like to see, and I think offensively, um, I don't want to say the sky are fine, but they're much better than they are defensively. Like, I don't think offense was the issue this season. And, you know, shout out to Emery, who I think did a great job thrown into a very difficult situation. But I would argue the offense got better when, when Emery became the coach. You know, they really started... Um, you know, leaning into the pick and roll. And so uh, the defensive side of the ball is to me the most glaring need, um, especially, I mean, really all over, but even if we think about the guard spot, um, I think, you know, Ka is the best guard defender. You know, so I, I just think defensively, bringing in a tough defensive-minded coach, uh, where this one was a two-time defensive player, I'm, I mean, the resume speaks for itself. Um, and then, you know, one thing I'll add, you know, in the exit interviews, the players really talked about um, connecting with the coach, somebody um, who under, you know, understood what they were going to. And I would argue again, you know, uh, Teresa Weatherspoon might be the best person for the job. You know, uh, her position in New Orleans, Zion Williamson has talked very candidly about just how uh, instrumental she was in transitioning to the NBA and just having somebody in his corner that he felt like really cared about him. And so, uh, you know, even on the intangibles, I think it makes a lot of sense. I think in terms of the basketball-wise, it makes a lot of sense. Um, and, you know, like you said, Sky fans, uh, you know, I think, I think they have a reason to be excited about it. And, you know, we can confirm that they've been in conversation. So it kind of feels like she's... Um, you know, dare I say, the leading candidate at this point. We're going to take a quick break. This is the CHGO Sky Show to pay some bills. We're going to talk about Shady Rays. Now, Monique, you got glasses like I do. Steven, <laughs> Steven's got better vision than both of us, so he doesn't have to worry about this mm -hmm. quite as much. But the heat wave, the October heat wave has come to Chicago, and for that you need to get your sunnies on. And the best place to do that is Shady Rays, the best sunglasses for the best price, bar none, as Steven said, in the Western Hemisphere. And if you're like me, Monique, I hope you're not, if you lose your glasses, misplace your glasses, accidentally sit on your glasses, somehow break your glasses when you get dehydrated at the basketball court, if that happens to your Shady Rays, reach out to them, let them know, and they will give you a new, prayer, a new pair free of charge, no questions asked. They also donate their time and money, profits, expenses, all of that to help out many great causes in the U.S., including multiple sclerosis patients and building playgrounds for underserved communities. And if you use that code CHGO that you see on your screen, CHGO, if you use that code right now, you'll get 50% off. Your first two pairs of Shady Rays, 50% off. Your first two pairs of Shady Rays, I'll say it one more time for you, 50% off your first two pairs of Shady Rays sunglasses. So what's not to love about that? Shady Rays, again, that's the best sunglasses this side of the Prime Meridian. And if you find anywhere better, they came from off the planet. That's all I can really say. <laughs> and now for Ray Chevrolet. As the time comes and we're coming to um, holiday season where you need to stuff all those presents in the trunk, you need to take uh, more things down to homecoming for the kids, need to replace the, all the food that they ate through in their college dorm, 
or just go to Ikea and get a bookshelf for all the books you're going to get. The Monique writes after she finishes her <laughs> dissertation to fill up that bookshelf. You need a good car for that. I've had a Chevrolet. Love that Malibu that I had. It took me a lot of places in this country. And the best place to get a new Malibu or any new Chevrolet is Ray Chevy in Fox Lake. Find the vehicle you're searching for, and you see the price online on their website. You're going to be the you're going to see the same price in the dealership. No bait and switch, no changes, no nothing like that. And through the end of the month, sorry, that was through the end of September. I apologize that you missed that deal, but you still need to cut out to Ray Chevy and Fox Lake. No matter whether you're a poor freelance journalist like myself, no matter whether you're the next head coach, the 2028 head coach of the Chicago Sky like Steven, no matter if you're going to come back to Oberlin and coach track and field like Monique is, <laughs> any of that, you will get the same price at Ray Chevy. They treat everybody equally and they treat everybody well. So Ray Chevrolet and Fox Lake can't get a better deal anywhere else. Oh, that will, I hope that wasn't too much. hope that wasn't too much for all of y'all. You did great. We got region revs in the chat. She wanted to ask you guys, uh, didn't Spoon write a book years ago to encourage young girls? You know, I think she did. I got to check on that. I'm not sure, actually. That's a great question, and it would not surprise me, though. I would not be surprised. Yeah, I was going to say. I remember I was looking up uh, Teresa Weatherspoon's, um, her coaching resume, and I do think I saw that she wrote a children's book sometime, uh, some time ago. Region Rev always checking in with us and always hit it, getting us with the hard hitting questions. Much appreciated. I'm gonna I'm gonna take a look at that. Yeah, she's a, she's a great supporter of CHO. I see her in all the different teams, and and we appreciate her support. This is something I certainly would like to ask you guys. Um, yeah, I cover Purdue basketball, so I, I've been pretty close to college, the college landscape for the last few years, and the NIL has certainly changed everything. So I'm curious from your guys' perspective, because I think what a lot of fans would be surprised to find out is some of the highest earners in NIL are from the women's side of college basketball. How, how has that affected the next level? And is it is it something that's going to – maybe if you haven't seen the effects yet down the road, is it going to positively affect the next level for for, for women's basketball? Monique, I'd love your insight on that yeah, first. I'll, I'll jump in and say emphatically, yes, it will affect the WNBA. I mean, I this upcoming draft, um, of course, COVID and the extra year of eligibility complicates who will be coming out. Um, but, you know, I would argue there's more incentive almost than ever financially if you're one of the top co women's college basketball players at a top marquee power five school uh, to, to stay. I mean, I think of Angel Reese, I think of Kaylin Clark, I think of Paige, I think of Aaliyah Edwards. Um, I think of um, the person, you know, the, um, I'm blanking on her name at North Carolina. Um, you know, like uh, the game, I mean, it's, it's changed the playing field. And so uh, I think the only way, like, I think the only reason it might affect the WNBA is we might see some people um, just kind of choosing to stay longer. And I also wonder if it changes just kind of the game at the college level, I think because it's become way more professionalized. Um, I wonder if that changes the training and, and in terms of the preparation for the W. I'm curious to see how that develops over time. But that's a great question. Yeah, I think it's going to have its most impact with the waiver players coming in over the next two, three years. 
Um, all the players that Monique mentioned, I think you were hinting that Deja Kelly from uh, North Carolina. Um, Thank you. All type of all types of talent that's not gonna benefit from the NIL and everything pertaining to that, which I'm completely co-signed in terms of athletes making monetary gains off of their likeness and the um, product that they produce on a game-by-game basis for schools and universities. Um, but I also think that that's also going to play hand-in-hand with the evolution of women's basketball that's very much underway in terms of uh, a higher pace, more three-point shots, um, just more general skill and activity that I'm not going to say the W has never seen, but the W has never seen at this volume of players. Obviously, you've had players like Candace Parker, Lisa Leslie, uh, Diana Tarazi. You could you could name a ton of players that have brought something unique to each era of WNBA basketball. It's always been like one, um, like one or two people that are kind of just the head of the spear with it. I think now we're going to start seeing over the next few years. There's going to be multiple guards coming in with range yeah. like Caitlin Clark, Paige Beckers. There's going to be multiple front court pieces coming in. Um, like Angel Reese that are going to be able to do literally everything on the basketball court, not unlike Asia Wilson can and not unlike Candace Parker has shown to do for my entire life. <laughs> so just kind of looking at those archetypes and just the general level of dynamic uh, play that's going to be coming in is going to definitely tie hand-in-hand with the NIL deals. And it's not just going to make the athletes and the brand of basketball better, but it's going to also make the athletes more knowledgeable and how to monetize their um, their brands individually and independent of the actual encore product of basketball. Yeah, appreciate it. And I didn't mean to hijack your show, Chris, oh, but that's it's a great certainly. Yeah. <laughs> that's good no, and, and you guys are right, because like I was showing Jenny the other day, uh, my wife, uh, just how amazing this is, because there's some girls that have like 50 million followers on TikTok. And I go, for comparison, I cover the Chicago Bears here on CHGO. I go, there's the bears only have 2 million followers on Twitter. So like they're like, it's massive. This sponsorship opportunity, like you mentioned the money and you got to feel like those sponsors are going to carry over into the big leagues. And that's going to help only support the, the, the sport even more. I remember, um, when, when Derek Rose came to the bulls, there was a lot of talk behind the scenes of how it was kind of difficult. He was a very shy withdrawn person and so it took a lot for him to really get to those sponsorship opportunities, being able to do commercials, being able to talk to um, media in a way that felt like he was connecting with people. And then on this side of the coin, you have Angel Reese and Flauge Johnson in that ad that's been running on like their college dorm. I think it's for uh, Target <laughs> or Walmart. I think it's Amazon. That it was right. Amazon, which is wild to me. Thanks. Like I, I, I love yeah. that ad. Like I, that felt like freshman year of school for me. And I think. Um, Katie, Katie Barnes, the, uh, the, the journalist, has a book that just came out, Fair Play, and she's gone on tour. She'll be in Chicago with that, I think, later this month. And she's talking about uh, the history of women's sports along with queer athletes and trans athletes. And I think not only with that, with NIL deals, you're going to have more athletes who are able to be out front with sponsorship deals because of the, their play. And, but also, kids are going to be able to see that. They're going to be like, oh, such and such is hooping, such and such is playing hockey, such and such is playing softball, flag football, whatever. And that representation is going to lead to what I've always thought about is decreasing the, the drop-off in sports as the levels get higher on the women's side. Because, you know, the, the, that chart is still a factor. Like, as your age goes up, 
participation in girls and women's sports goes down, but I want to see that maintain levels as to as it gets to the professional level so that it encourages expansion, further expansion in professional leagues and further expanded professional leagues like we're seeing. So I think outside of just the monetary benefit, there's going to be that kind of changes too. That's a, that, was a tr- that was a conjecture, but I think there's some interesting things that can just be had from the fact that at the college athletes generate this money, now they're actually getting compensated for it. No, that was a that was a great question, man. It's like <laughs> Lauren's got to look out. Now. I got nothing but terrible questions on Bears show, so I, I guess I, I, I had one. Hey, that's a whole other topic. That might be the topic's fault, not your fault. But I digress. <laughs> yeah, harder to talk uh, about. That was a good lead, though. I think in the um, in another nuanced discussion uh, that hap- that occurs with M- WNBA awards voting, uh, particularly as we saw not just for um, most improved player, Monique, that you brought up with Alana Smith, where she finished in relation to Satu Sabali in Jordan, Canada. But that MVP vote, which we knew was going to be an issue, as soon as it became clear, it was between three candidates who were equally <laughs> deserving. And somehow it still shook out in a way that made very little sense. Uh, <laughs> if anybody's watching the show, doesn't know, Alyssa Thomas received 23 first place votes, the most of all the three candidates between her, Asia, and Brianna Stewart, and finished second in MVP voting to Brianna Stewart. And as the questions have come up so often in the WNBA about how their players are marketed, how these votes transpire, and the differences of opinion between fans, coaches, media, and players, how is this? Well, first of all, let's let's not get into the far-reaching questions. What do you think about how everything went down with that? Well, <laughs> I'll, like, oh. I'll go ahead and say um, I would love some accountability for whoever gave Asia Wilson a fourth-place vote. I think if Facts. you don't start there, we're not approaching it? the whole conversation the right way. Like, honestly, it doesn't even you take you watching it? every game to not have her fourth. And like that, I can't even yeah. go like in depth on that because it just there's no sense there. Uh, so let's start there, <laughs> and then we can we can kind of just look at like Chris said in the opening. There was no wrong there was no wrong option there, but this this it seems felt like and on film it looks like two other players were even like a hair more deserving than the others, and for it to kind of stacked out the way that it did. And then here's some of the reasonings given behind why who was voted where. There is a need for evolution in the voting hemisphere in terms of the media and the people being elected to represent the majority of uh, media votes. And I don't think that can be overstated. And until that happens, we're going to continue to see these inconsistent results that don't match not just what other media members are seeing, but even what fans and coaches and players are seeing. There's a clear disconnect and there's a clear lack of understanding of what's going on on the court, what should be valued, whether that's on play, uh, on court play or stats or a, a pretty marriage of both. And again, because there are so many variances and philosophies and how people see the game and levels of understanding of it, we're going to continue to see these inconsistent results. And I think this is just yet another microcosm of just that in terms of things pertaining to the media hemisphere of basketball right now. 
Yeah, I really like that phrase, voting revolution. Uh, you know, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I just think, um, you know, first off, I mean, Alyssa Thomas, I thought was the most deserving. I think she had the most impressive season on paper. Uh, nobody picked Connecticut to to finish third. They were a handful of games behind the Liberty. Uh, she dealt with the coaching change. John Cole Jones was traded after the coaching change. Brianna Jones, their all-star center, uh, ruptured her Achilles. Uh, and the, you know, this is no, the second best player on the Connecticut Sun is Dewana Bonner. And it's no shade to Dewana Bonner. She, I love to be, she's one hell of a player, but who's the second best player on the Liberty? Who's the third best player on the Liberty? Who's the second best player on the Aces? Who's the third best player on the Aces? Um, I think it really calls into question how we're defining MVP, most improved, uh, sixth woman of the year. Um, you know, no disrespect to Alicia Clark. Um, you know, she can definitely ball, but when she's on the court, she's playing with four Hall of Famers. Uh, you know, when Dana Evans comes into the game, uh, you know, not only is she asked to facilitate and be the point guard and really run that second unit, um, but, you know, she's playing with uh, some mixed bench players as well, sometimes with the Hibbert, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, I just think, you know, again, accountability, um, you know, and just across the board, like, I, I couldn't tell you what folks' metric were for voting on all these awards. It feels like if you talk to a different person, you'll get a different answer. And I think that's very problematic moving forward. These awards mean so much. I mean, we're talking about Teresa Witherspoon, two-time defensive player of the year. That matters for this potential head coach position, right? Um, and so these awards, you know, matter a lot. And the last thing I'll say, uh, I thought of the three, uh, Alyssa Thomas did things that I genuinely believe we might not ever see again in the W. Um, Brianna Stewart obviously scored a lot high efficiently for 40 point games in a season. Uh, but I think that'll be done again. I think somebody will score a lot of points again. Um, and Asia Wilson, you know, just to echo what Steven said, I mean, just a continued disrespect. You know, they people didn't want to give, you know, um, I mean, the explanations for why. Um, but I, I, I just want to echo uh, if you are giving Asia Wilson a fourth place MVP voting in 2023, I don't think you should be voting for the MVP of the W. Um, and, you know, I think there has to be some consistency. So I, I like the phrase voting revolution. Uh, I'm with you, Stephen, because the inconsistencies um, are just glaring. Um, and the last thing I'll say, uh, just to throw this out there, um, you know, it's really interesting that the, the white player of the three um, got the the you know MVP based on how the voting occurred and the league knew it was going to be contentious because they revealed the defensive player of the year award about a month earlier than it was scheduled and so it kind of you know so it feels like yeah the prematurely is yeah that's putting it lightly so it, it almost feels like you know and fans are calling this into question you know media I mean um it you know it, it I mean, as a fan, as somebody who, you know, is now a part of the sports media, it almost feels like, you know, there's alternative motives at play. And I think that's where folks get really, really frustrated. And before, before you jump in, Chris, I wanted to kind of piggyback off of the Alyssa Thomas point. So for context, uh, Monique already tapped into it a little bit. They had to undergo a complete philosophy change because Brianna Jones was the starting center. That changes everything you do defensively, but also everything you do offensively. And how you go about just playing as a 
as your pieces on the uh, on the court for Stephanie White, the coach of the year, who was deserving in my opinion. Um, the fact that Alyssa was playing point guard, playing center on offense and defense, guarding the best player, who whoever that is, whether that was Asia Wilson, uh, whether that was, you could just say, like anybody, uh, Arike Ngumbawale, like any spectrum from guard to center and everywhere in between. And then on the offensive side, facilitating, playmaking from the post, uh, initiating pick and roll sometimes. Like there was literally no box that she didn't check off in terms of everything that she did. And again, you add the injury adversity that they saw losing an all-star center and the demand that that put on her to not just be a wing defender, but also, like I said, guard guards and provide rim protection. She's literally doing everything on the basketball court. And in this, this, this in this playoff series, she was playing 40 minutes a game. <laughs> and that wasn't just in the playoffs. She was doing that for ever since Bree Jones went down, which was a few yeah. weeks before the All-Star game. Like, I, I just, like, it's hard to process how you go about making that decision. And, again, this is no shade to Brianna Stewart, who's one of the best basketball players across all sure. of basketball of all time already. But this just wasn't the season for her. And that's, again, no slights of her, but Alyssa Thomas, all the triple-doubles, we haven't even said anything about those yet. We've been talking about everything else that she does. <laughs> and we just now got to the triple-doubles. Like, yeah, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't do that. And you can't get away with that this season. We saw far too much from others yeah. with much more demand on them on a nightly basis. Yeah, Alyssa Thomas's last five games, minutes played at Minnesota, 40 minutes. New York, 40 minutes. New York, 40 minutes. New York, 38 minutes. New York, 37 minutes. And um, let me, I want to try and do some, some quick math. Oh, but sorry, before that, she, see, so she missed out of a possible, let's see, 40 times seven is 280 minutes. Out of a possible 280 minutes, she played. Two hundred and seventy-five. I can't think of anything comparable to that, other than um, there was, uh, I think, a, I think in the nineteen sixty-nine playoffs, which is nineteen sixty-nine. John Havlicek played about uh, no nineteen seventy-three. John Havlicek missed like thirteen minutes of the entire um, postseason, and they played sixteen games. So yeah, that's, and that was nineteen sixty-nine, which has you know. There's no real. There's no real way to compare those two eras. Exactly. But those two players are very similar, and that says a lot when you're talking about a Hall of Fame small forward and another potential Hall of Fame small forward. Havlicek was always the best defensive player on his teams. Um, would run pretty much end to end of the court all day. And what do we talk about when we talk about Alyssa Thomas? Her defense, her ability to control the tempo of the game, and her motor. She's called the engine. I think somebody asked her, like, Miles Ehrlich asked her, what do you do for cardio? And she's like, I just hoop. Like, that's what I do. I just, <laughs> I just don't stop running. Mm-hmm. I, there's going to be a time where somebody tells us the same thing about Alyssa Thomas that they said about Havlicek, which was that her heart is literally bigger and more efficient than everybody else's, and we just haven't figured it out yet. So to have that player from me – who has spent the last three years roasting Connecticut at every turn, 
to have that player not be your most valuable player when they most deserved it is egregious. And I, I, I do appreciate the media professionals who I saw put out their vote and explain why. Uh, Terika Foxter Brasby, uh, one of them, I know she immediately she said like, "Here's how I voted. Here's why." And I understand your concerns. Don't jump. Don't like jump everybody in media because you had a problem with this. But I appreciate her for putting it out there. A lot of other people I know did the same. But this is not an isolated problem. That's the thing. This is not isolated to the WNBA. This question comes up when Baseball Hall of Fame voting comes around, when Basketball Hall of Fame voting comes around, when NBA voting for awards comes around, when uh, the Golden Boots awarded at the uh, World Cup. We talk about this same thing. So accountability is not limited to this sport. I think that's the craziest thing about it. So we need to either have a meeting of the minds between these four segments of of the uh, league, fans, players, uh, coaches in the media, or we just need to have like one random seven-year-old who's never watched any games watch like 50% of the games during the season and then just pick who they thought was the best because that would at least be somewhat of an unbiased opinion. And by the way, um, I believe Sabrina Ionescu got MVP votes this season as well. So oh, in Steven addition Nelson. to – no, no, we there. So in addition to <laughs> Asia getting a fourth-place vote, if you watch any – she wasn't – the point, the point was already made just by the, the reaction. There is no way that Sabrina should have got MVP votes this season. And that's, again, no disrespect to her. She had one of her better seasons of no her career so far. But how could she possibly get an MVP vote over Brianna Stewart, who is by far the best player on the team? Like, that doesn't even, like, just logically, in terms of structuring, it, does, it makes no sense. And these anomalies like this that keep coming up consistently season after season, just continue to hint that there's a need for, like I mentioned earlier, evolution and who's being chosen to make these votes. Who's showing that they're paying attention to games and not just watching box scores on a nightly basis? Who can tell you things that have happened over the course of a season with multiple franchises past just the one that they're reporting on? Like, that stuff is important. You're supposed to be informing the, the greater masses of consumers of basketball about what's going on on the floor, and you're inaccurately representing players that – like I said, they didn't deserve it. And again, no slight to them, but players were just so much better than them, even on their own team. Like these things just don't make sense. And until that changes, we're gonna continue to see these uh, results that leave us dumbfounded season after season. It's true. Y'all are right. I know we brought up the colorism and it's hard to touch on it, especially on a short show day. But it's something that we brought up before. It's something that we're going to continue to bring up in the future until a change is made of how one players are viewed, how players are rewarded, and how players are perceived. We didn't even talk about the uh, graphics that ESPN put up once Las Vegas won and how Benajah Laney was not included on them and how she has not been talked about enough as a premier player, not just with the New York Liberty in this new era, but in the league itself. And... Unfortunately, we, we, we want to carry the conversation to everybody who watched because we can't carry it all as much as we would like. Um, we got to come to the, the, the conclusion of the show. Uh, Monique, Newton, so much appreciation for you coming on. <laughs> of course. Again, anytime, fellas, anytime. Monique, beat writer for the next who 
Um, and another thing that changed for this guy, picked up that job in the middle of the season. <laughs> uh, yeah, you, always. I, I do want to give a quick shout out to some folks. You know, as you mentioned, I kind of got thrown into the fire uh, after the All-Star break. But I just want to give a shout out um, to just the folks that worked their tail off covering the Chicago Sky. Like, as a fan, uh, I wasn't even, you know, I didn't really understand how much work went into reporting and covering the team and uh, the pregame conferences, the postgame conferences, coming up with questions uh, and, you know, really, really watching the game, like watching the game, you know, from an analytical point. So I want to give a quick shout out to Annie Custabell, Chicago Sun-Times, Carly Bell, Marquee Sports Network, of course, Steven, um, you know, just watching you all do your work. I mean, you've already taught me so much in probably like a few months, so more than you ever know. And uh, just excited to keep building, you know, Chicago Sky Media moving forward. Most definitely. It's going to be fun having you out there. For our co-host, Stephen Gardner, always a pleasure, man, even though you're not in the studio with us. Again, I thank you for not um, flexing on me too much with the outfit in person. And, and keeping it back at the crib. No, I do appreciate that's that. That's <laughs> For our second co-host, that uh, smoke alarm that's been going off in the background, we appreciate that. And our man, Greg Braggs, Jr., stepping in on the dials for us today. This has been the CHGO Sky Show. I'm Chris Pennant. Follow us on Twitter at CHGO underscore Sky. And unfollow CHGO Sports at un- CHGO underscore Sports. We'll see you next time, folks. Take care. Go Sky. Go Sky.